You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. So glad all of you are here joining us today. Those of you who are watching us online, wherever you may be, thank you for inviting us into your home. We've just come off of the Thanksgiving weekend. I know so many of us have enjoyed that time of eating, of being with family and with friends, and we're carrying it over now as we're moving towards uh, the celebration of the Christmas holidays. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to say, I am thankful thankful. That did not sound very thankful. You're just like, just like you just finished eating. Okay, let, let's do it like you're excited this morning. Say, I am thankful, I am thankful. you're sitting next to me, because you're making me look real good. It was just a great weekend as so many of us were able to be with our friends and our family. But as I said, we're moving into the Christmas season now officially. Um, This Friday night, we are having a movie we've never done before. This is going to be the opportunity to go outside and bring friends and family so we can watch a good animated um, movie of the message of Christmas. So bring your kids, bring your grandkids, um, bring your neighbor's kids, rent some kids. I don't care. Come and be a part of this thing as we celebrate together. The, the, um, popcorn and the hot chocolate are free. The donuts are not. You will need a credit card or maybe even a small loan for those. So anyway, want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. Also, Christmas Eve, as Ryan said, we have three services, 2 o'clock, 3.30, and 5. You need to go online today, and you need to register. Let me give you some instruction about registering. Some of you do this every year. You get 10, 15, 20 tickets just in case your friends and your loved ones happen to show up in town, and then you don't use all of those. So as a result, we show that we're full when we're not. So just take the tickets that you need for your family, and if you can't be here, call the office and tell us so we can free those up. Because every year we run out of space, but we end up having space because people have taken too many tickets. So take what you need, but be careful um, and cognizant of the fact that if you don't need those, let us know. Because 2 30 what is it, 2.30? 2, 3.30, and 5 o'clock. During those times, we're also going to be observing the Lord's Supper together. It's going to be a sweet time of just singing Christmas songs, focusing, reflecting on what Jesus has done as the indescribable gift to us, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to go home. And so want to encourage you to be a part of that. Pay attention to all of those things. Um, I, was, I was reading this past week about amnesia. And you know what amnesia is. It's a condition where people lose their memory. And there are different kinds of amnesia. There's retrograde amnesia that can happen because of an accident and maybe some trauma and you forget the events surrounding around that. And um, then there's the anterior grade amnesia, which is a little bit longer amnesia, but it can happen to a hard time to remembering most recent things or sometimes things for decades. And the word amnesia comes from the Greek word, which means forgetfulness. Now, all of us have that to a degree, don't we? But I notice the older I get, the more forgetful I am becoming. And there are a lot of things that I'm forgetting, people's names, like my kids, and, and things like that. Um, I mean, matter of fact, um, the, the older I get, I am thinking more about the hereafter. 
I walk into a room and I ask myself the question, what am I here after? And I can't remember anymore. Well, Chris and I have a tradition. Every Friday after Thanksgiving, we decorate the house for Christmas. We've done that for years. The Christmas tree comes out. My job is to take it out of the box, set it up, plug the lights in, make sure they walk, they work, step back, fluff it up. I'm done. I'm out of there. So I get up Friday morning and I grab me a cup of coffee and then I'm on my second cup of coffee and I'm thinking, okay, I need to go get the tree. So I walk in the garage where I store it and I look on the shelf and there's no tree. And I'm looking, where's that tree? What did I do with it? Well, maybe I moved it inside. So I went in all the closets of the house and I couldn't find the tree. I thought, what did I do with that tree? So I went up in the attic and I looked all around the attic and I thought, there is no tree. So I walked downstairs. I said, Chris, have I lost my mind? She said, yes, probably so. I said, but let me finish it. I can't find the tree. She said, you can't find the tree? Well, it's in the garage. No, it's not. Well, maybe we moved it in a closet. No, we didn't. Well, did you put it in the attic? No. Then all of a sudden I remembered, I brought it to the dump last year. <laughs> when I took that tree down, there were so many lights not lit. I loaded it in the back of my truck and I now vividly seeing that, that dumpster with all of those poor dead Christmas trees. As I was throwing that tree in there, the thought crossed my mind. I bet you I can get all of those out of there and make at least one good tree out of it but I threw it in there and here's what we did. We forgot to buy a new tree. So I came downstairs and I said, yes, we forgot to buy a new tree. No decorating this year. Minimal decorating, she says. We're going on Black Friday to Lowe's or Home Depot. So we did, we bought a tree. I brought it home, I hooked it up, I looked at it and then I stood there with the ornaments handing them to Chris as she put them on the tree. I'm not allowed to do that because she's symmetrical and they all have to be just right. And I just want to get it done. Well, my point is this, we all have memory loss. We all do. And and, and we all have times where we forget things. Some of us are more forgetful these days than others. But all the things that we can forget, the greatest danger is to have spiritual amnesia. And spiritual amnesia is simply to forget the incredible blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Do you know what I've discovered? The longer I've been a believer, the harder it is for me to remember what it was like to be lost. And the longer I've been a believer, the easier it is for me to take for granted the blessings that I have in Christ Jesus. Am I the only one like that? Anybody else? Y'all so spiritual. But it's true. Because now I'm beginning to realize, how many times do I take for granted the grace of God? How many times do I take for granted the redemption that I have in Christ? How many times do I take for granted that my name's written in the Lamb's book of life and I don't need to worry about anything in this world? How many times do I take for granted my responsibility with the great commission to tell others about Jesus? And we could go on and on. And spiritual amnesia is something that every believer can experience. And when we do it, we're forgetting something great about the work and the redemption and the kindness of our God. Today, we're in our second to last message on 1 Timothy. And we're almost there. We're we're, we're about to land this plane. 
And we're in chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. So open your Bibles, your devices, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Remember, Paul's writing to Timothy for the church. And this entire epistle has been a prescriptive instruction for you and me of how we are to conduct ourselves in the house of God. That's the major theme of this whole study. And now as he's bringing it to an end, he's reminding Timothy of some things that he should never forget. And in doing so, he's speaking to you and me today of the things we should never forget. First Timothy chapter six, beginning in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for your Holy Spirit reminding us of some truth today. Now, as we unpack these, would you speak to us today clearly that we might remember, we might recall who you desire us to be in Christ. And Father, for those who do not know Christ, I pray this morning that they would see the abundant blessings for those who are in Christ And Father, you would stir their own hearts to repentance and turning to the Lord Jesus themselves for life and life eternal. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. And as he does so, he gives him three specific pieces of information here that he wants him to know. And because he wants Timothy to know these things, he wants you to know these things. He wants me to know these things. So what are they? I'm gonna give you just simply three points today. We're gonna make this simple. It's been a long weekend. But these three points are life-changing if we understand what God wants us to know. Here's the first thing. That Paul gives us our identity as believers. Now, there's an identity crisis in our country today, isn't there? I mean, there is an identity. People can't even define who they are. They don't know who they are. They don't know what gender they are. And some genders are fluid. They change every single day. But we're living in this culture where people have lost their identity. But it's not just simply of the lost cultures of the church too. It's of believers in Jesus Christ. I really believe that we've grown so accustomed to the goodness and the graciousness and the kindness of God our Father in this country that we've become complacent and we've forgotten who we really are. Here's what he says. He says, here's your identity. And he begins by telling Timothy. He says, but as for you, O man 
of God. He's making a contrast. He's been talking about the false teachers. He's been talking about those individuals who are running after riches, but he says it's not so for you. He starts with an adversative, but, but, Timothy, as for you, you're to be different. Why? Because you're a man of God. Now, we use that term a lot, and we use it flippantly. And we don't even fully understand the significance of that phrase, man of God. Do you know that in the Old Testament, it was only used rarely of certain individuals? It was used of Moses. It was used of Samuel. It was used of David. It was used of Elisha and Elijah. It was used of some unknown and unnamed prophets. But it was only used a handful of times because it is significant. It is speaking of an incredible honoring position. It is a position of somebody who speaks on behalf of God. It is a position where somebody speaks on uh, behalf of modeling the character of God. This is a person who lived their life in such a way that when people saw them, it was easy without any question that this is a man of God. And the Apostle Paul speaks this of Timothy. This is the first time that it's mentioned in the New Testament, man of God. And he's speaking specifically to Timothy as the pastor of the church. He says, you are the man of God. You're the mouthpiece of God. You're the one who's to represent the, 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 the character of Christ everywhere you go. As we just heard Jeff read, we are to be the aroma of Jesus in this world. And so it's specifically not only of Timothy, but it is to be for every pastor who serves in the ministry. Our identity is that we are men of God. Paul uses this only twice. He uses this here specifically of Timothy. But then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, he uses it in a general sense. Notice how he says it. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In this passage, it's in a generic sense. And it's not just men, it's people of God. It's men and women of God. It's brothers and sisters in Christ who represent men who belong to God and women who belong to God. This is one of the highest honors we can receive as a child of God in our culture is that people can readily identify us as belonging to God. And so if you're in Christ, here's the thing we need to understand. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are men and women of God. Are we brothers and sisters? Yes. Are we children of God? Yes. Are we redeemed? Yes. But the all-encompassing title for you and me is man and woman of God. We don't use that language, do we? And if we do, we use it flippantly. But that's who we are. Now, Peter takes this same thought, but he gives us a little bit more instruction to it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, but you... 
Speaking of believers, but you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We know that, we love that, we sing that song. But let me show you three important things that come from God about our identity. Number one is this, we are people of his profession. It's not what people are saying about you. It's not what you say about you. It's not what the church says about you. It's what God himself says about you. You are a chosen people. You in Christ are a royal priesthood. You in Christ are a holy nation. Now, it's one thing for me to say that about you. It's one thing for you to say about that about you. But when the God of the universe looks down at you and says what he says of you, there is no greater significance in the universe than the creator of the universe speaking truth about who you are from his own mouth. You are people of his profession. It's what he's saying about you. But then he adds another one. Not only people of his profession, we are people of his possession. We belong to him. We are his. We were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit, names written in the Lamb's book of life. And no matter what the culture of the world says about you, you are his. And here's the greatest thing. You can imagine the father from his throne looking down on us and saying, hey, 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 you see that? Look at that. She's mine. She belongs to me. Oh, oh look at him. He's mine. You see, you see that young man who's following Christ? He belongs to me. And that's what the father says about you. And so there's a profession that he is making over his own and there's a possession that we belong to him. And the last thing is we are to be people of his praise, that we are to praise his excellencies for calling us out of darkness into marvelous light. Now, get this. Why is the praise part so important? Because he's calling you and me to verbalize what he says about us. He's calling you and me to verbalize what he says. Wow, the father says this about me? Then this is who I am. The father says I belong to him and I'm his? This is who I am. Now, why is this so important that Paul is doing this? Timothy, if you remember, was a timid soul. He was sickly. He was afraid of men. He was afraid of the people in his church. He walked around fearful, timid, sickly. But when Paul says to him, man of God, he spoke truth into him that goes beyond his own weaknesses and his own failures. And I want you to hear me today. There's some of you, like myself, you're having a real hard time to imagine yourself being a man or a woman of God because of the failures in your own life. If you're like me, you might say, I'm having a real hard time thinking about being a man or a woman of God because of my own shortcomings. Somebody said something to me the other day. They said, Phil, you seem to have it all together. I said, but what you don't know is you don't live with me 24-7. And you don't know what I think. You don't know what I do. 
You don't know my attitudes deep in my hearts, and if you did, you would be embarrassed as I would. So every one of us has flaws. And in the midst of our flaws, in the midst of our shortcomings, the world comes against us, and the world is always saying, look at that, you can't measure up. You're not anything like Christ. Don't even try. Then the devil is the accuser of the brethren who stands before the throne of God. And what is he doing? He's constantly accusing us of failure. And then we look at ourselves in the mirror and we think, how can I ever right this ship? And then what does God say? No, this is who you are. You're my daughter. You're my son. I bought you with the blood of my only son. You are mine. And no matter what the world says, the blood of Christ has redeemed you. My Holy Spirit lives within you. Your name is written in my book and I will guard you until that day. That's who you are. And we need to be reminded of that. My little girl, Leslie, when she was in middle school, she came home one day and she said, Dad, this girl at school keeps calling me names. And she told me one day that you're ugly. You're ugly. Well, let me give you a little backstory. Leslie's um, love language is words of affirmation. And I knew that very early. So I always praise Leslie. I always say, oh, you're so beautiful. I love the way you do that. You have a beautiful voice. Oh, you sing like an angel. And every day I just praise her and I fill up her tank with words of affirmation. Well, she goes to school and this little girl says, you're ugly. And Leslie says, I'm not ugly. And the little girl says, how do you know you're not ugly? And she said, daddy, I got in her face. I said, because my daddy told me I was beautiful and I believe my daddy. And then she did this. Some of us are listening to the wrong claims. Some of you are listening to the enemy who's the father of lies and he lies all the time and he's lying to you about your weaknesses and your failures and he tells you, you will never overcome this. And you know what some of us need? Some of us need some Jesus swagger. (laughs) We need to say, you're a liar. This is who God says I am. I'm his I'm his child, I'm his son, I'm his daughter, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed. I am filled to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I am empowered. I walk in forgiveness. I am the aroma of Jesus Christ. Go through the book of Ephesians and look at all the I am statements that deal with who you are. And when you walk out of that, you realize, bring it on world. This is who my heavenly daddy says I am. So I don't know where you are today, but don't believe the lies of the enemy because the enemy will lie to you to paralyze you. God will speak truth to you to energize you. And there's a difference between the motives of the two. You are his. He is yours. Praise him because of this. Your identity is in Jesus. Here's the second thing Paul says. He gives us our instruction as believers. 
He's already given us our identity. Now he's going to give us the instructions. Now I want you to know something, that the two have to be in that order. The reason he's given instructions now is because he says, if this is your identity, then this is how you should live. The instructions always follow their identity. But if he puts the instructions first, then it becomes works-oriented. These are the instructions, and if I live these, then I'll be this. No, that's backwards. This is who you are, believer. You belong to Christ. You're his possession. Now, because you are his, this is how you should live. Does that make sense? That's exactly what he's doing. And he tells us that there's certain things we must do. Listen to what he says to Timothy. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He gives him four pieces of instruction. They all begin with the same letter so they're easy to remember. Let me give them to you. Number one, if you're a man of God, flee from fleshly and worldly desires. Flee. You know what the word in Greek means? Run away. Run. And here's the wonderful thing about this word. There's no formula for fleeing. You just run. You don't have to zigzag right and left. You don't have to go forward, backwards. Just run away. He's saying this, when temptation comes, when worldly lust come, when your own human flesh rises up, run from it as fast as you can. Now, here's the problem with many believers. They want to come and see just how close to the edge of temptation they can get without going over. The problem is, too many go over to edge. And rather than being a coward, When it comes to sin, we like to push the envelope and say, let me just see how far I can go. I've heard one evangelist say, oh, when you're living your life, you should come so close to the edge of sin just to identify with the world. That is ungodly advice. Run from that guy. No, you run because sin is serious. I love the, the, the um, Cherokee story of the little boy who was making a climb to the top of a mountain because of some ritual. And as he's going to the top of the mountain, there's a rattlesnake on the path, and it's so cold, and the rattlesnake is just bound up. And he says, please, young boy, can you pick me up and put me in your bosom and warm me up for I'm going to die? And the little boy says, no, you're a rattlesnake. So he kept on going. He got to the top. As he came back down, the rattlesnake was still there. And he says, young boy, can you please pick me up, put me in your bosom? He says, no, you're a rattlesnake. You'll bite me. No, 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 no. I will die here because I'm cold-blooded. If you put me in your bosom and you carry me to the bottom and you put me down, I will protect you against other venomous snakes. The little boy said, okay. So he picked him up, put him in his bosom. He starts walking down. The snake's starting to move. His head pokes out. He says, oh, that feels so good. I'm warming up. Let's keep going. Finally, they get down to the bottom. He pulls that rattlesnake out. He puts it on the ground and the snake bites him in the arm. He says, you said you wouldn't bite me. And as the snake was slithering off, he said, you knew what I was when you picked me up. Isn't that true? You knew what I was when you went to that website. You knew what I was when you lied on that form. You knew exactly what I was when you sent that text 
flee from it. When those situations come up, make a commitment to be a coward and run away. If you're a man or a woman of God, if there are things in your life right now, throw them down because they will bite you. Flee. Secondly, focus. Focus on Christ-like virtues. Now, if you're going to run from something, you've got to run to something. Run to the character of Jesus. And in this passage, I love the way he puts it, he gives us six characteristics that are put in three sets of two. And he says that these are the things that we are to run to. He says you're to run to righteousness and godliness. Righteousness is outward right living. Godliness is an internal desire that demonstrates piety and holiness. So the internal desire drives you to do the right things. Then he says faith and love. Faith and love. Faithfulness is integrity. Love is service and sacrifice. So you are to live your life with righteousness, with an internal desire for holiness, and you are to be faithful in your integrity, your honesty, and your service of other people. Then he says endurance and gentleness. Endurance is bearing up under difficult things. Gentleness is bearing up under difficult people. You know anybody like that? And then when you put all these together, you know what he's saying? Focus on the ethical side of your life. Focus on the ethical living of your life. Make sure that you're living the character of Jesus. Make sure that righteousness is pouring out, that there's a godly intent in everything you do, that you're a man or a woman of integrity and honesty, of service and of love, and you will bear up under the most difficult things and put up with difficult people for the glory of God. Here's what he's saying. Focus on the things that measure and bring about the ethical side of your life. Then he says this. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, where we're to run from our flesh, there are times we need to stand and fight. And if there's ever a time for the church to stand and fight today, it is now. What are we to fight for? It's clear. We're to fight for the faith. What is the faith? The faith is the body of truth. It is doctrinal correctness. It is theological soundness. It is accuracy with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a refusal to give in to my biblical convictions and my biblical worldview regardless of what the world says. While I am to flee the sins of the world, I am to stand my ground and fight for the truth of God's word. That is the doctrinal side where you see focus emphasizes the ethical life of the Christian. Fighting is the doctrinal truth of the believer. And I want to tell you, today so many people in the church are so scared of fighting. We're fighting the wrong things. We're running to the wrong things. We need to stand and fight for the truth. And yet the church is so afraid of being canceled. Really? So you're concerned about being canceled by a 20-year-old person who has a college degree that cannot give them a job, living in the basement of their parents, and they're going to shout you down? You're afraid of that? Really? 
What about truth? What about standing on righteousness? What about being able to stand toe-to-toe with an individual and proclaim the truth of the gospel even if it costs me my job? So we're to fight that faith. So you're dealing here with ethical living. You're dealing here with doctrinal living. Then the last one, we're to forge ahead in your calling and your commitment. We're to forge ahead. He says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession. Take hold of it. It means hang on to the reality of eternal life. You know what eternal life is? Eternal life has two sides of it. There's a quality of life that we have here and there's a quantity of life in heaven. It is already but not yet. We have this quality of life in Jesus Christ And we're to experience that daily, but there is any quantity of life that's coming with Jesus, and it's an eternal life. And so this deals with our personal experiences. And because of what Jesus has done in the Spirit of God, drawing me to himself and me responding to the message of the gospel and making the public profession of faith, either before a body or in the baptistry, we are to remember the experiences that we have in Jesus daily. Now, I want you to get the picture. There's a balance here. We're to flee from sin. We're to focus on our ethical side of living We're to fight for the doctrinal truth of the gospel and we're to forge forward in the experiences that we have in Jesus. There has to be a balance and here's why. Some people do not live a balance of this. There's some individuals who will fight for the doctrinal side but their ethical side of the Christian life is neglected and people will never listen to their truth because they don't live what they teach. And then there's some people who are all into the emotional side and all they want to do is talk about the emotional experience, the spiritual high, but they have no doctrinal soundness and the ethical side of their life is questionable. You and I are to live in such a way that we flee, that we focus, that we fight and that we constantly forge ahead for the glory of Christ. So, your identity is who you are in Jesus. Your instruction is simple. It's to pursue the ethical, doctrinal, and the experiential side of the Christian life that you live in the fullness of of God and the fullness of the Spirit of God. Now, here's a third thing. Paul gives us our inspiration as believers. All right, what's our inspiration? Our inspiration is beautiful. It flows from this doxology that he gives. We don't know if the apostle Paul wrote this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit or if this was a doxology that the church sang, but Paul breaks out into song. As he identifies who we are, as he gives us the instruction of how we live, what does it do? It drives him to a moment of worship and it should drive us to that. And here are three things that we can learn from this. Number one, we live in the presence of God in Christ. Every moment of our lives, we are in the presence of God and Christ. We are to live in the conscience presence of God. 
the way he puts it is he says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus. You know what that means? That means every single thing you do, you live as with the reality that God is with you. Now, we don't do it because of fear. We do it because of pleasure. My heavenly father's walking with me. Should I say that to that person? The Lord Jesus is here with me. Should I respond in that way and not get rebuked? Because he is with me, everything I do, I want to live with the conscious presence of the reality of God in my life everywhere I go. Here's the second thing. We live in the promise of God in Christ. You see, not only do we live with the presence of God around us, we live with the confidence of the promise. And he puts it this way. He says, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, Jesus made the confession before Pilate that he is the king of kings to keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. Here's the promise that Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. And as we live in the conscious presence of God, we can live with the confidence that any moment our Lord and Savior can return. And I believe that we're getting way closer than we've ever been. Now, every generation has ever said that, and they've always been right. But I believe when you're looking at this global reset and everything that's happening around us, there can't help but be the unleashing of God's plan for eschatological events. But in the meantime, he's coming back. I'm going to live in the presence of Christ. I'm going to live in the promise of Christ. And I know that I want to live in such a way that when he comes back, he will not be ashamed of me. Here's the third thing. We're living the power of God in Christ. Live in his power. Paul says, he who is blessed and the only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who has no, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He breaks out in his great song. And in his song, he shows us four things. He tells us that God, number one, is invincible. He's sovereign, king of kings, lord of lords. There's no one over our God. No one. He's invincible. There is no threat to him at all. And so we can rest assured and celebrate that he's invincible. Secondly, he's immortal. You and I might have immortality in Christ that we will live forever, but our immortality is derived through Jesus. God's immortality is derived through himself. And he's the only immortal being in the universe. There's a cause and effect. God is an uncaused cause because he's immortal. Here's the third thing. He is inaccessible. No sin, no darkness, no evil, no perversion can ever penetrate his presence. And you might say, what about us? We're imperfect, yes. We're evil, yes. But through the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of Christ and the righteousness of Jesus imputed to us, one day we will be with him. And because of that imputed righteousness, we are perfect because of Christ's perfectness. But nothing evil can penetrate his presence, nothing. And here's the last thing. He's invisible. He's invisible. He says, nobody has seen him. 
The closest we've come to seeing God is what Jesus said in the writer of Hebrews says he's the exact representation of God. Jesus is the stamped, identical icon of who God is. Well, we haven't seen him. But here's the reality in the book of Revelation. I love this. When the saints of God's people are gathered together, And after the wedding feast of the Lamb, the writer of Revelation says five words that just excite my heart. We will see his face. We will see his face. Who is he? He's enduringly strong, entirely sincere, eternally steadfast, He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He is unique. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is our king. He's the king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislatures. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He is the governor of governors. He is the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's our king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. The heavens cannot contain him and man cannot explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. He is our king. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. That's our king. He's always been and he will always be. He had no predecessor and he will have no successor. There's nobody before him and there'll be no one after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. He is is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And how long is that? Forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forevers, forever, amen. That is our king. So rise up, men and women of God, and believe what God says you are. Rise up, men and women of God, and believe that you are his possession and you are well protected by his grace and his power. Rise up, oh, men and women of God, 
and focus your life on an ethical life that becomes the aroma of Jesus to those who are watching you. Rise up, O men and women of God, and fight the fight of the faith of doctrinal purity and gospel rightness. Rise up, O men and women of God, and forge ahead in your Christian life through the experience of the Holy Spirit in you and the empowering of his nature through you. And rise up, O men and women of God, and let us worship our God in all of his splendor, in all of his majesty, because he alone is our King and our Lord. That's your identity, church. That's who we are. And we have a choice to either listen to the lies of the enemy and the lies of the world or the lies of our flesh and be shackled by the failures of our past. Or we can be free in who he is in us and who he wants us to be. Some of you have chains that have no locks because you're free. Some of you have prison doors that has no lock because the door is open. Some of you are in dungeons of your own making and the Father is calling to you to come out because of what he has done for you and what he desires to do in you. Rise up. Rise up and be who he says you are. Sons, daughters, children, joint heirs, redeemed, saints, who will see his face. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, God wants you to hear this message because he knows you. He knows who you are. He's known all your days before you've been one day old. And you might think that he doesn't know you. There's never been a time he has not seen you. Never. And there's never been a time he has not provided redemption for you through his son. And right now he knows you're living a lie and you are in a mess. And he's saying to you, surrender. Surrender to me. And watch who I will make you. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say follow me and figure it out on your own. He said, follow me and I will make you. Because that's his job, to transform us. Will you trust him? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close with the prayer. And then we're going to close with the doxology of praising God for who he is. And men and women of God, rise up and sing and declare your freedom and his greatness. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Father, that your word sets us free from the bondage of our lives. 
And we thank you for the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, who rose on the third day and is alive now. And for those who are without Christ, I pray, Father, today that they would yield their life to Jesus and surrender to him. And I ask, Father, for the men and women of God would stand and we would declare who you say we are. And Father, we would not walk in the lies of the enemy or of our flesh, but in the promises and the truth of your word that we will be who you desire us to be. And with that, Father, we will not be able to contain ourselves in worship. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.